Good. Good to have you guys. Good to see you. So the party, the biggest event of the year. You ready for it? Huh? You signed up? Registered? Let us know that you were coming. All right. A few of you are. So if you haven't, make sure you do that. Um, Because this here is great. It's awesome. This is a wonderful thing that we get to do every Sunday, get together, worship the Lord together. But God has made us, through faith in Christ, a family. Families get together. They have fun together. They enjoy each other's company, uh, not just on Sundays. And so we're pulling this thing together uh, for us to kind of just hang out, do something different. We've never done anything like this before. Um, and enjoy each other's company and just hang out. So um, I would encourage you, if you're not going to do anything other than what I plan on doing, which is hang out and eat, and then you know, talk to people too, up in between, you know, fights. Uh, but there's bowling, there'll be other games you guys can play, you know, board games and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so make sure you sign up for that. You can do it on the Church Center app. You can go up to HighGracePoint.com events. <clears throat> I think I sent out something this week, and it wasn't supposed to be a link, and it was a link, and then it didn't work, and some people got bad. Hey, this link's not working. Well, it wasn't supposed to be a link. The computer thinks it knows better than I do. Um, but it's a great way for us to, to celebrate. We're going to be going into our fifth year um, in March, so it's kind of a good way for us to celebrate what God's been doing in our church, the growth that's been happening, and then look forward to what God has for us uh, in the coming years as well. Which, by the way, <clears throat> next week, we're starting a new series called EO3. Everyone on three. So the way we put it, there's one church, three locations. We've got Fremont, Tiffin, and up here in Northwood. And everybody who attends these campuses are going to have to be doing what God's called them to do in order for us to continue uh, reaching people for Christ and helping them grow in their faith. And so... Next week, and through February, we're going to be laying out for everybody what we believe God wants to do in and through us as a church. And so we all need to be a part of that. Uh, God's plan to reach people for Christ, plan A through Z, has always been the church. Uh, It's never been, in the Bible, you don't see all these other things, you know, or organizations that we do have. It's always been the church. We are the number one uh, plan plan A through Z. And so all of us need to be a part of that and reaching people for Christ in our own lives, helping us as a church together to do that. Uh, we're all commanded to sacrificially work and, and give financially to make that happen. Um, <clears throat> and so and some of that planning, by the way, has already happened. If you happen to look down the children's hallway or came in that way, we've just gone through and painted that, and there's going to be some more changes happening over the the week, so pardon our dust. If you uh, walk through there, there's some, you know, baseboards not up and stuff like that. But we've got some other plans happening, um, and so, and that's a big thanks to the faithful giving of our church and the hard work of several people this past week who were putting in literal days in here um, to make that happen. So, uh, come back next week. <clears throat> well, for now, we uh, we need to finish up our time in Esther. All right, so turn to Esther chapter eight page 515, and we're going to see uh, more again how God has made sure his eternal plan 
uh, of securing Israel's safety and survival was accomplished through these earthly decisions that uh, Mordecai and Esther were making. Because God is working his eternal plans, whether we know it or not, or whether we want to acknowledge it or not, God is working out his eternal plans in our lives as well, which is what we've been talking about. Um, and he's, he's doing that in our lives, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, by us going through the challenges that we face, <clears throat> responding the way he calls us to respond, which grows us spiritually, we become more like Christ. And then through that, as people watch us and see us, they're going to be drawn to Christ for salvation. And we who commit to join Jesus in that, because there are some Christians, sadly, who don't see that as their responsibility. They've, <clears throat> for whatever reason, um, they don't see that they have a personal responsibility to see people in their lives come to Christ and help them grow in their faith. And here at Grace Point, that's what we're all about. Um, we want to see people come to Christ through you and me, our lives, us having conversations with people in our lives, and then walking with them, <clears throat> not necessarily handing them off to somebody else, but us walking with them as they grow in their walk with the Lord. When we do that, <clears throat> we're going to experience growth spiritually. We're going to become more and more like Christ. Uh, and then we're going to see those people who have come to Christ in our lives doing the same thing. And we're going to continue on with this mission that Jesus Christ has given us. But for now, <clears throat> let me just give you a quick update. Last week, we saw this uh, incredible twist of providence, right? Where more, uh, Haman had wanted to have Mordecai killed. And he was going to put him on the gallows and pale him on the gallows. And Esther has a banquet and she finally points out to the king that Haman is the guy. Haman's the one who's going to try to kill Esther and her people. And so she points him, he's your man. And the king's, hang him high. All right, get him out there. And so Mordecai was supposed to be on the gallows, but it ends up that Haman is put on the gallows. He is impaled on these gallows that were meant for Mordecai. And then we read this coming out of Esther chapter 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. On that day, the day Haman was impaled on the gallows, King Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman, or what that means is he gave uh, Mordecai Haman's estate, his wealth, <clears throat> the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had disclosed what he was there. In other words, he's, we're cousins. Next one. The king took off his signet ring, which had, uh, he had taken away from Hagen, uh, Hagen, there we go again, Haman. <clears throat> Boy, I was so good up until last week, and now I can't get that out of my mind. So what it means there is it was taken from him violently. So you can just imagine, right, last week, uh, the king is just ticked, right? He walks out into the courtyard, <clears throat> and he's mad. He comes back, and he sees Haman you know, hanging on to Esther, begging for his life, and so he walks over there and says, you know, hang this guy, and he rips the signet ring off of his finger, he gives it to Mordecai. Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So now Mordecai has Haman's wealth and Haman's authority. All right, so he is now second in command. Then Esther spoke again to the king, fell at his feet, wept and implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman the Agagite, and his plot which he had devised against the Jews. <clears throat> the king extended the golden scepter to Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. Then she said, If it pleases the king, 
And if I have found favor before him, and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, she's just really laying this on thick, right? Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agag, Agag, oh boy, I tell you, Agagite. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like, what's his face, a Popeye. Pluto. Anyways, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all of the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people? How can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows because he had stretched out his hands against the Jews. Now, you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring, for a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. So nine months before this Haman's law was supposed to go into effect, the king gives Mordecai the opportunity and the authority to write a letter, a law, an edict, to the Jewish people. That's, of course, going to go out to everybody else. And so here's what the new decree says. So in them, these letters containing the new law, the king granted the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble, to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the entire army of any people or province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder their spoil on one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month Adar, which, by the way, is our month of, of March. So unlike Haman's law, Mordecai's law has been written so that the Jewish people could read it. So something we didn't point out before was that when Haman sent his law out, it went to everybody, but apparently it didn't go to the Jewish people. So it was written in everyone's language, but those Jews who didn't speak Persian or some other language, they didn't get that letter. They didn't know what was going on. They were hearing about from their neighbors that they were going to be killed. And so you can even tell what that would even make their hearts even more so. Because like, Wait a second, we, we didn't hear anything about this. And so Mordecai's letter was to go out to everybody, including the Jewish people. It was written in Hebrew for them. And in Mordecai's law, the Jews were given the right to defend themselves. It's it's actually the exact same wording that Haman's law was. That they could defend themselves, that they could kill, destroy, annihilate men and women even. Anyone who would attack them, they had the right to defend themselves. And it was in place, the, the law was in place for just one day. That was the 13th. The one day that Haman's law was enacted, this law would counteract that law. But it was just for one day. They couldn't continue to go on killing people, in other words. Right? This wasn't going to be a full-blown insurrection. So we're told that the, the couriers head out. It's interesting, there's a, there's a difference between these couriers and the ones that went out for Haman's. These couriers, they've gone out, it says, with uh, hastened and impelled by the king's command, Riding the royal steeds. You know, I say this big old, you know, impressive way of saying it. When, when Haman's couriers went out, they just took off real fast and had horses. Uh, but this is royal steeds. I mean, they're laying this stuff on thick. And so as the law goes out, we're told that Mordecai then leaves the palace. And <clears throat> throughout uh, Susa, there's, 
joy happening, and there's a sense of peace happening, and excitement happening, and there's honor happening. Susa goes from this <clears throat> emotional basket case that it's been now for a while, because remember back in chapter 3, verse 15, <clears throat> they were thrown into confusion, this emotional upheaval. They, they didn't realize what was happening and why it was happening, and why would the king want all these Jewish people killed, and why would they have to be the ones who were killing him? It was just emotional upheaval. And now with this new law going out, they're shouting and rejoicing, and Mordecai is seen as this great man who's done great things, and he's willing to, or they're willing to honor him. And again, I think it would be that way. Imagine if we were told we had to kill our neighbors, and then we were told we don't have to. You know, we'd be, oh, phew, you know, I didn't really want to kill him in the first place. So Mordecai is seen with great honor. The Jews who were weighed down, we were told that they were fearful. They were under this gloom of the fact that they were going to be killed, which was back in chapter 4. But now it says that they have light. In other words, they've been released of that gloom and doom, and they're rejoicing, and they're feasting, and they actually make a huge celebration out of it because they've got this new life breathed into them. If you're reading through here, you would have seen that it says that even uh, some of the Persian people turned to God through this event. It said that many of them became Jews and wanted to become Jews. So they, they changed from serving and worshiping the gods that they worshipped to worshiping the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. All because of what they saw happening through Esther and Mordecai. And so they turned and they wanted to be a part of what God was doing in their life. Well, then the day comes for the, the clash of decrees. It's Adar 13. And everyone's anxiously awaiting on the 12th, you know, what the 13th is going to be like, going to bed, wondering. So let's see what happens. Now, in the 12th month, that is the month Adar, on the 13th day, when the king's command and edict were about to be executed, on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary. That's kind of a cool way of putting it. Turned to the contrary. So that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one, look at this, no one could stand before them for the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. And so the, the question is, why would the people suddenly fear the Jewish people? There's not that many Jewish people in the entire empire. But suddenly... Out of nowhere, there's a fear, there's a dread of the Jewish people. Kind of interesting. Go on to the next. <clears throat> oh, even all the princes of the uh, provinces, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the king's business assisted the Jews because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Now, this makes a little bit more fear, uh, sense because now he's second in command, and anything he says... It's the king's authority, so he could have people killed at will if he wanted to. That, that makes a little bit more sense. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai became greater and greater. I wonder if Mordecai wrote this. <laughs> Just, you know, uh, Mordecai, uh, he's an awesome man. He became greater and greater. Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying. And they did what they pleased, so those... Uh, to those who hated them. 
at the citadel in Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. So just right there in the citadel, not just in the city at large, but in the citadel where the king is, they were able to kill 500. So the Jews gained the mastery over those who attacked them. No one could stand before them because there was a dread, there was a a fear that came upon the people. It's kind of like when Israel finally went into the land and God put a fear on the hearts of the people in the land so that Israel could go in and quickly take care of those as long as they did it God's way. So here's God doing a work in the hearts of unbelievers, preparing the way for those, his people, to do and carry out the plan that they were supposed to do for him to accomplish his eternal plans. Even all the officials and the servants within the king's power, they all backed Mordecai and supported Israel in this. And so we're told that the Jews had victory. 500 men in the citadel, including Haman's ten sons. Notice I didn't read those verses that had the names of the ten sons. If you've read it, you'll know why. I just said those were really hard to read. You think a gagite is hard. <laughs> those other ones, crazy. Esther gets the king's approval to impale Haman's sons, who are already dead, but they're going to take them and impale them on the gallows which, you know, kind of like, okay, a little bit overkill, Esther, but this is actually a Persian custom that they would take people who are in, in an insurrection and they, once they were killed, they would put them up on the gallows as well as kind of a deterrent. This is what happens to people. And so they had that done. Then the next day, the 14th, the Jews in the city of Susa, they had to assemble again. So evidently there was some more men who decided we're going to attack Israel, probably maybe like the family members of the 500 that were killed. Maybe they were kind of like, hey, let's do a sneak attack. They won't know we're coming. And so the Jews in the city had to defend themselves one more day. They killed 300 men that day. It says that throughout the entire empire, 75,000 attackers were killed. But interesting, it says, though they had the right to do this, no Jew plundered their attackers. In other words, no Jew went into those who attacked them. And it just, it's, it's a neat, um, just a neat tidbit to know because they weren't about the money. You know, they weren't about going after all that. They just wanted to defend themselves. That's all they wanted to do. They just wanted to make sure that they, their lives. And so they could have done it. They chose not to. And then once they gained the victory, the Jews throughout the empire celebrated and they had feasts. They were giving gifts. It's kind of like Christmas. Esther uh, 9 tells us that the celebration that became what we know today is the Festival of Purim, which is celebrated in March. And we talked about this the first week, but Purim comes from the word pur. Pur in Persian is uh, the casting of lots. And so that's uh, Haman was casting lots to find out what was the best day that the gods would say to kill Israel, and so the Jews take that and they remember that by giving it the festival of Purim. And the Jews throughout the empire, they rested on the 14th day. The Jews in Susa, they were attacked on the 14th, so they rest on the 15th. Then Mordecai sends out letters saying, hey listen, from this point forward, and like I said, even today they celebrate it. From this day forward, we are going to celebrate this time where God gave us 
a release. God gave us protection. And then Esther sends out letters as well, and she uses a, a phrase there um, about basically peace and security, basically saying, yes, what Mordecai is saying is true. We need to do this because there's now peace and security in the empire of Persia. Well, the story closes with Esther chapter 10. It's only like three or four verses. And as you read it, kind of go, what's this here for? And it, what's happening here is that it seems like the authors say, okay, well, now that all has happened, things are kind of getting back to normal. There is peace. There is security. The king's raising taxes. <laughs> That's what it says. Um, that Mordecai is now second in command, and all of Persia is at peace and secure because of this leadership team of the king and Mordecai. So, just FYI, this is not going to be a long message. So somebody better let the band know. So as the band comes... <laughs> hey, there you are. What, what is our takeaway from this? This entire story, but really specifically today. You guys are going to get out of here so early, you don't have to do yourself. The first one is this. Next one. Is that up there? There it is. Thank you. So first one. For us to take away, what we need to understand, as we, as we go out into our lives, as we want to see God fulfill His eternal plans through us, of us growing and becoming more like Christ, and then through our lives, people being drawn to Him for salvation. God fights our battles with us. We just need to do the next right thing and then let God do His work. We always seem to want to get in there. We want to do the work ourselves. We want to manipulate people and move people and push people. And No, we just need to do the right next thing and let God, just like He did with Esther, move in the hearts of people. Take people to that next step like He wants to. Secondly, only God changes hearts. That goes with this. You and I, we can't change people's hearts. We can't manipulate people. We can't motivate people. We can encourage people, but we'll never change people's hearts. I'm telling you, this is the hardest thing for me as a pastor because I see people in their lives doing stuff. I'm just like, oh my word, can you see what you're doing? You're going to destroy yourself. This is not a life that you want to live. And so then I, you know, I meet with them and I talk with them and I encourage them, but I can't change them. I can't change their hearts. I can't make them do what they need to do in order to receive God's healing and God's strength and God's wisdom and His discernment. You know, God changes hearts. And you just got to let Him do that. Let Him work in people's hearts as we focus on God. And the third one is, only God draws people to Himself. Again, we can't manipulate people into Christ we're not to be their Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts people of sin, of their need for Christ. So let God do His work when it comes to salvation. You love them, you care for them, you respond to them the way God wants you to respond, and let Him change their heart and draw them to Him for salvation. Then when that happens, then you, are, you continue with that person, 
you walk with that person, you spend time with that person, you read God's Word together, you pray together, you encourage each other, and now we're discipling people. We're doing what Christ has called us to do as we see people come to Christ and disciple them. Let's go ahead and stand.